Uh, we're sitting in front of the TV after that field goal kick and uh, mourning the loss really, really pretty down. And um, then the door swings open and Sport, my grandson, who's been playing Legos for the last three and a half hours, walks in and says, hey guys, have I missed anything? <laughs> we thought, no, you've not missed a thing. You, you, you need those moments, don't you, to sort of bring things in perspective to a child that doesn't mean a thing. And this morning, we're going to be talking about some difficult topics. And we're going to look at a character in Scripture that's going to allow us to sing things in a very different perspective. You see, we're surrounded by a world of negativity. There's a country song called, Am I the Only One? We'd say, no, here's the words. Feeling of being the only one sitting here tonight, watching my TV, feeling like the world is falling apart. We feel that way. Three out of four Americans feel very, very negative about the future. Uh, Bloomberg Magazine says, America has a mood disorder. And guys, here's the way it happens. Let me just sort of outline this. It starts with just being surrounded by a, a lot of negative thoughts. And there's so many things to be negative about. We see it, we're full of it, and before long, that negativity turns into anger, all right? And and what's going on in America today, all of us are angry at times, but what has happened is we are living in a state of anger. And given time, the anger leads to bitterness. You see, to be bitter is to suppress your anger over a long period of time. Bitterness is extremely dangerous. And yet our world is setting us up for this. We have a media that wants us to stay angry. 72% of Americans say social media makes them more negative. You watch the different cable networks, and and, and they're out to incite us. I have a friend who has a friend who works for one of those cable news organizations, and he produced a story about a Republican and a Democratic congressperson who actually came together to work together toward a very important bill. He wrote the story, taped the story, presented it to his boss. His boss says, you know, that's a really good story that will never be shown on our network. Because our goal is to incite people. Guys, let's be honest here today. No matter which of those networks you choose, we've all got to be careful that we're not played by a world that says, I'm going to keep you engaged. I'm going to keep you watching if I can just keep you angry. And it's, it's, it's spreading to all of us. And so it's not just a national mood, friends. It's also a personal mood. It's that seeing the worst, expecting the worst. You know, this is dangerous. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Last week we talked about one of Satan's most effective tools is sexual immorality. Because sometimes if he can't catch you in that, if he can't lead you down that wrong path, here's what he does. He works on an inside job that nobody else can see to make you a bitter, angry person. And the challenge for us this morning in this chameleon series, because there's so much pressure for us to to just fit in. For us to look like everybody else at work who's griping about everything. For us to be at our home, always being negative about things. Being negative in our marriage. Being negative in our school. It's so different. If we want to look different today in America, 
We develop a positive attitude that sees the best in people and does not judge the worst. And so this morning, I want to look at a character in history. In fact, write this down. If anyone in the history of mankind had reason to be negative, angry, and bitter, it was, you know it, Job. Let me just make this this clear. We're talking about Job, not Job, okay? His name is Job, all right? And guys, when you look at his life, oh my goodness, whether you believe this is just a, a parable God's put here to teach us, or you believe it's a real story of a real man, it's an incredible story of a man. Here's how the Bible begins to describe him. He was blameless and upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. Everything in his life is going amazing. And then Satan has been wandering the world, and he's been looking at people. And after this, he comes to God, and he's talking about what he's seen. And God says, hey, have you ever considered my servant Job? And uh, Satan says to God, says, God, of course he serves you. He's healthy and wealthy. My goodness, he's got everything going for you. You take that away from him, and he'll curse you. And God says, Okay, I'm giving you permission, just don't touch his body. And so Job goes out, and all of a sudden he's sitting in his brother's living room at a party, and a group of people come to him and say, Job, guess what? All your sheep and oxen have just been destroyed by your enemies. And is that person speaking? Another person comes and says, guess what? Now your children have been destroyed by a tornado that's hit, and it's one after another. His whole family, all of his livelihood, his house crushes, and everything is taken away from him. I mean, Job had it all taken away. And so, you know, Job remains righteous, and Satan comes back to God and says, well, of course, you still hadn't touched him. His body's like Americans say, as long as I got my health, I got everything. And God says, well, you got permission to touch his body. And so Job breaks out in bulls and sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And when we see him in Scripture, he's got a piece of broken pottery where he's just scraping his skin trying to find relief. I mean, what a story. And the question we find from this story is what is our response to suffering? And as you look through the story, you're going to see three different responses that might be ours. The first response came from what I call his uncomforting friends. Now, his uncomforting friends actually sit there with him for seven days without saying a word. But when they open their mouth, it's really not good. Because what they say to Job is, yeah, you've got all these problems, man. You've caused these problems. Obviously, you've displeased God and you've sinned. And listen to this verse, surely God doesn't reject one who's blameless. If this business about you being blameless was true, this would never happen to you. And, and, and so his friends say, Job, we know everything looks good on the, on the outside. You're part of the chamber of commerce. You're wealthy. You're an elder down at your church. But listen, friend, you must be living a double life that we don't see. You see, they believe what we would call today, thousands of years before this, the prosperity gospel, that if you're serving God, you're always going to be healthy and wealthy. And it's just not true. And Job experiences that. Now, on top of these uncomforting friends, he's got what I would call certainly an unsupportive wife. She says, don't blame yourself, blame God. 
What she's saying is righteous as you are, as good as you've lived. How could God let this happen to you? And so she says some of the most encouraging words of all Scripture from one spouse to the other. Curse God and what? Die. Just, Just give up. Now, you now understand why Satan took everything away from him except his wife, okay? She wasn't exactly a blessing in this moment. Basically, she's saying to Job, my goodness, as hard as you've tried to serve God, he's going to reward you this way? And why don't you just go ahead and commit suicide? Guys, let's be honest here for a moment. Suicide's a big issue in our culture. I think because of the negativity and the bitterness and the depression in our world, suicide rates have gone out of the, off the roof. Uh, one of our brothers, um, Sean Baines, texted me this week about a friend of his, a young mother with three children, 11 and lower, who took her life this week. And my friends, those stories are not unusual. And so Job is encouraged, just go ahead and end it. But the other response to suffering, which is the one that's heroic is from Job, which I would call, he was an unwavering believer. And the way he handles this terrible time is not by just acting like it's okay. He wrestles with God through almost the whole book. We'd say, Job takes God to the mat. It's a wrestling match. And, and Job says, even in the middle of not understanding, not being too happy, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Guys, in the middle of all of what happens to Job, and it's awful, he never denies the existence of God. He never curses God. He simply wrestles with God. Or we'd say here in Alabama, he wrestles with God, right? Let's look at some of this. Just look in your Bible for a second. Go to Job chapter 30, verses 20 through 22. Listen to how frustrated Job was with God. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You've tossed me into the storm, God. I mean, Job is honest. What is going on here? If you go just... A little further, what you'll find out is Job's got two problems with God. First of all, his question to God is, do you really care? If you cared, how could this happen? Second is, if you do care, then, you, do, then do you have the power you say you did? Why aren't you doing something about it? And so, man, he just, for 30 chapters, I mean, Job's just complaining and arguing with his friends. And God just, and you've experienced this before in your life. God's just silent until chapter 38, and God begins to speak. Now, here's what you're going to find out here. God doesn't really answer Job's question specifically. He turns it around, and he questions Job. God actually asked Job 70 questions in these last couple of chapters. Look at chapter 38, verse 3. God Bucks him up, brace yourself like a man, I'll question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across, across it. And then verse, verse 12, 
Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Philip Yancey says in his classic book, Disappointment with God, God is saying to Job, until you know a little bit more about how to run the physical universe, you really don't need to question me about how to run the moral universe. And then as you keep going, God starts making these arguments off creation about who he is. He doesn't really answer Job's questions. He overwhelms Job with his presence. You get in chapter 40. It's pretty interesting. The two most feared animals or the strongest animals in ancient culture were the hippopotamus and the crocodile. And so God spends some time saying, you know what? As strong as a hippopotamus is, and you, you certainly could never take control of it, I could lead around on a string. And then he gets, we'll look at these verses just for a second. Look at chapter 41, where he's talking about the crocodile. Can you pull in, here's the word, crocodile with a fish hook? Or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord around its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for your life? Could you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? He said, guys, you, you don't even have the power to turn a crocodile into a pet. I can control it and I can control any circumstances at any time. And so basically, if you read these chapters, I encourage you to do it. What God's saying is, if you look at creation, I have infinite care for everything I've made. I care about the dawn. I care about the sunset. I care and take care of every animal. And if I care so much about this creation, don't you think that I care about the crowning act of my creation, which is mankind? Now, as we talk about how to wrestle with God, let me, let me show you a couple of verses of what what he says, what Job says right at the beginning, after everything's fallen apart. This is really pretty amazing words. At this, Job got up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. And he is in mourning. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, the Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God or with wrongdoing. So I want, you, I want you to get some lessons today. Because I guarantee you, I'm talking to a majority of us that are struggling somewhere with these issues. Maybe not to the point Job was. But there's things in your life you don't understand. They don't make any sense to you. They make you even question God. How do you handle that? Number one, here's what we see in Job. He was full of lament and worship. What is Lament. Lament is a passionate expression of grief, of sorrow. To, to lament is even to question God and what he's done. Now, here's the crazy thing. There's this beautiful combination here that we probably wouldn't have put together, is that Job is able, at the same time he's like, God, this makes no sense to me, I still praise you. Because there's sadness in the Bible, there's songs of lament, and you say, why are they? The Bible should be just all positive and all we should ever... No. Everything in life is not positive. 
There's a lot of sadness in this world. And God's not trying to get you just to deny that. I mean, look, look with me just at a, a psalm that I think basically, that beautifully expresses this, where David himself is extremely frustrated with God and God's inaction. Look at Psalm 13. Just listen to this for a second. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You ever felt that way? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. Listen to that. And then you almost get whiplash in the next thing he does. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. My friends, it is okay to live in this tension with lament and praise. And then, second, I think you can see this already. When you're wrestling with God through something you don't understand, you've got permission to be honest with God. God's not asking you to deny your emotions. He's not like you're going to some school teacher you're afraid of where you've got to put things in the most polite way, God's saying, I'm okay with whatever you need to see. You see what I say? I, I want to be in relationship with you. And so Job is extremely honest. Here's what I want you to know, my friends. If you're going through a tough time right now, you can trust your emotions, your hurts, your questions, even your angry, your anger with God. Here's what the Scripture says, even about our relationships with each other. I think it applies to our relationship with God. Be angry, but sin not. You see, the trouble in your relationship with God is not when you're upset with Him. The trouble would be is when you stop talking to Him. God wants you to stay engaged. So number three, and this is the most important point I think we're going to make. Job had to lean on God's revealed character. Like I said a moment ago, God really doesn't directly answer his questions. He just overwhelms him with who he is, how powerful he is, how much he cares, and what he can do. And you see, here, here's the thing, we, we, and we've got an advantage over Job here. In Job, God's able to say, look back at the creation. Look how meticulous I was in the creation. Look how much I loved, not just the animals and the birds and the fields, how much I loved you. I mean, this is where I really revealed who I was in creation. I know right now it's sort of foggy, but that's a revelation. Now, for those of us as Christians, we got a, a greater advantage. Jesus is the exact representation of God. So when you're struggling over what God is doing or not doing in the moment, what, what Job would teach us is pay attention to what God has clearly revealed to you about himself. I love what was said earlier about God's grace, God's long-suffering. And then if you want an even clearer picture, a snapshot of actually who God is, here's our advantage. We've also got the cross 
And so no matter what's happening in my life over here, and I'm not understanding the whole picture because guess what? I'm not God. I don't see the whole picture. But what I can see and what I can focus on is the character of God revealed in Jesus Christ and completely revealed on a cross where God is dying for people. So that's what you do in these times of wrestling. You lean on that character. Number four, count on God to redeem your suffering. You see, here's what God says. God said, I don't care what's happening in your life, good, bad, or ugly. I personally don't believe God causes it all. But here's what I do think God promises. I can take anything in your life, and I can take it, and I can make something good come out of it. I can redeem it. That's what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 2. This sounds crazy to us. Consider joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials. I'm thinking, no, no, no. I don't want to get excited when I have trials. God says, because you know what trials can do for you, how they can mature you, you can even be joyful in the midst of them. You see, God can redeem the bad parts of your life, even the bad parts of your life that you chose to do. He can redeem it and make something good out of it. One of my favorite stories from history is of a, a missionary and his wife named Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. A few decades ago, they were missionaries to a tribe in Ecuador that had never heard the name of Jesus. And they go there, and they're preaching, and they're trying to lead them to Christ, and it turns really, really bad. Jim Elliott is killed. His wife found him, finds him in a river, stabbed in the back, and dead. Now, here's what's amazing. In that moment, Elizabeth Elliot grabbed the hand of her six-year-old daughter, and they walked back into the village and continued to preach and teach Jesus. And when the girl is 15 years old, she is baptized in the same river her father was murdered in by her father's murderer, who is now the preacher for this tribe where they have all come to Jesus Christ. God could take something so awful, and he could make something good come out of it. And I say to you and me in our life, God will do the same thing. You guys, we have living testimony here in this church of this. Sitting up here on this third row is Junior and Becky Bagwell. Most of us know the, um, you know, 16-year battle that our brother Junior's had with Parkinson. Man, has anyone battled it and fought it? It's Junior. And yet things have gotten tougher and tougher. So I asked them this week, how do you handle that? How do you keep from being better? And they would say to you, it is a temptation. How do you do it? Let me read some of the things they sent me. As Parkinson's has progressed through the years, the realization of so many limitations, it has become more and more difficult. It's extremely difficult for our brother Junior not to be able to drive Most of you know Junior drove for UPS for 33 years with a perfect driving record. Junior, though, has said from the beginning that God let him have this disease for a reason. Although it's difficult to see the good on those trying days, and yes, we have many, we know that our God is faithful and always has and always will give us exactly what we need. On those days when we don't think we can go on, we focus on all the ways God has blessed us. We know that our God is mighty and can do anything, anytime. 
Our faith is actually stronger because of this journey. Even though our God has not chosen to heal us, He can work through us to help others. Now, it helps us as we strongly believe that talking to God, our Father, about our concerns really blesses us. So we want to encourage you on those tough days. Try to always look for the blessings that our Creator has blessed you with. There's some way that He wants to use you in His kingdom work. Our Father wants to hear from you both on the good and bad days. Now, as a church, can we say that Junior and Becky Bagwell have blessed us? I mean, I, I think of going to so many elders' meetings where Junior is a point where he couldn't really speak, he couldn't say much, but I'm just telling you, his presence in that room said everything. Now, you know, we're reading this book of Job. Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible, probably the oldest story. And yet here we are thousands of years later, and we can take Job, and God can redeem this story to say to us in our pain and suffering that you don't have to give in to it, that though it's hard and you don't have to act like it's not happening, you can wrestle your way with God through it to the other side. Understand that God is sovereign, and one day God will make everything right. Listen to how the story begins to end. Chapter 42, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. If you read the story, he ends up with a bunch of children, a bunch of animals, a bunch of property. Now, let's, let's just be honest here for a second. That's cool. But don't read that and think that took away all the pain. You can't replace children with more children. Job's still struggling, but God blesses him. And so here's the choice that we're, we're left with, my friends. Rick Warren puts it so well. We can curse God and die, or we can trust God and grow. Please listen to me. If you're not in trouble right now, you will be. Everybody faces it. And what we'd love to do is have this description, the last verse in Job, that he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. Not easy, but a long, full life. And so I'm so thankful that God put this book in the Bible that we struggle with, and yet it reveals something to those of us that are in the middle of really difficult times. Here's the way I would ask the question this morning. Are you in God's waiting room? That's a tough place to be. When you're crying out to God and things don't make sense and it seems so unjust, and God's just making you wait. Maybe you're in the middle of some terrible suffering this morning. It just doesn't make sense. Maybe you're imbibing the spirit of our culture and becoming more and more negative. Maybe you got a lot of questions that are going unanswered. Maybe your negativity has led you to a point of anger. And it's even led you to a point of bitterness. Guys, bitterness is so, so dangerous because as one man said, to be bitter is to swallow poison and expect it to kill the other person. It eats you up. So this morning, I want to invite our shepherds and their wives, our ministers and their spouses to come surround the stage. 
And we're going to have one of those really special prayer times where we're going to come and we're going to do exactly what Job did. We are going to go to God with our issues. Gail and Doug are in the back. I think Zane and Cheryl will be in the back. Some of you come up. Can I ask um, Al and Candy if you guys would come up here and stand and be, be prepared for people to come? We'll make sure we got plenty. Chuck and Jennifer, would you guys come over here and stand? We want to make sure we got plenty of people. So all we're going to ask you to do when we sing in just a second, and we're going to sing that incredible song, There's Another in the Fire. And what the promise of that song is, and the promise of our study today is, is that guys, God doesn't always take it away, but God stays in there with us. And it's okay for you to wrestle with God. It's okay for you to come before here today and say, I don't get this. I don't understand it. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what Job did. I'm not going to run away from God. I'm going to run toward God. And God is sovereign. And God will win. So this morning, we're about to stand and sing this song. And I just want to encourage you. Just come up and give these folks your name. Tell them what's going on in your life. And just let them right here on the spot pray for you. Guys, I guarantee you, I know this, so don't hesitate. There's a lot of us struggling with this. It's hard to be countercultural. It's hard not to be a chameleon and just jump in the negativity and allow it to dominate our life. Many of us are allowing our news media and social media to so dominate us that we're losing our joy. My friends, you don't have to. God is alive. He is sovereign, and He wants to bless you even through this. If we can pray for you, come right now while we stand together and sing.